G'day mate, 40 here. So one of the 12-step the programs that I, I attend to has the unofficial motto of we're here to bring souls out of hiding, which sounds, sounds wonderful, but what about those whole souls that probably should stay in hiding? So my, my first thought on uh, bringing souls out of hiding is that the people who are wounded, so about a third of the population with these propensities for addiction and self-destruction cycles, uh, you don't want to reach into the cave and drag them into the sunlight, all right? Because what happens when you reach into a cave where there's a wounded animal that, that's hiding out and you try to drag them into the sunlight, they're going to bite you. So you don't want to drag, drag souls out of hiding, right? You don't want to try to drag people, generally speaking, into a recovery or, you know, your, your religion or whatever it is that you think would be really good for people. So uh, th there's something that I learned in the 12-step group, Al-Anon, and that was don't make a suggestion to someone more than once. And I haven't been able to fully live by that, but it's really helped me reduce my tendency to give unsolicited suggestions to people. So... I would sometimes give people the same suggestion five to ten times. Now I think I generally try to limit it one to three. All right. Ideally, I just give the suggestion once and, and move on. I, I really don't want to be banging on with with you know, my my suggestions to someone. So if I try not to give suggestions, period. Instead, I just try to share from my own experience. And then if they hear something that, that excites them, then they can take it and, and run with it. Uh, so we've got to be really careful bringing souls out of hiding or uh, you know, making people religious or you know, turning people on to uh, something and, and like kind of dragging people along. It just, just doesn't work because we evolved in a way to be highly skeptical of other people's motivations. And so I have found low IQ people tend to be even more skeptical and surly than even average IQ and, and above IQ people. But what about, what about people who start coming out of hiding and then they get smashed? I'm thinking about all those people that, that I've known who are in solid jobs and then they took a new job that demanded a higher level of performance and they got fired from it. So, you know, I, I know people for whom this has happened four or five times. Right? They've been in a solid job. They've taken a step up with a you know, big rise in salary, a big rise in responsibility, a big rise in standards, and boom, after a week, a month, six months, they get fired. So we're not always well suited to stepping up in the world, right? Weekend vibes, yeah. I'm just, I'm just chilling. So, I know for me in my own work history, the first, first four jobs I had from sixth grade to, to tenth grade, I got fired from, and I got fired from them for the same reasons that I struggled in jobs after tenth grade, like lack of attention to detail, lack of interest in what I was doing. Uh, lack of, of willingness to follow direction, lack of attention to detail, lack of conscientiousness, right? That, that uh, you know, got me fired from my first few jobs. And I still have 
some of those traits. No, I still have all of those traits just to varying degrees of, of intensity. So I've had a, a work history where I make a mistake and then if the boss jumps on me for it, it tends to lead me into a spiral where I make more mistakes then the boss gets more upset with me and then I make even more mistakes. It's like a, a, a downward spiral. So I'm thinking for, for the under-owner like myself that uh, the situation of employment is probably even more important than it is for the normal person. And I think a normal person can adapt to, to the situation. Someone who's not normal, someone who's got let's just call it addictive tendencies if if you're not a big believer in addiction just you know use some other uh, self-defeating maladaptive tendencies someone who doesn't you know interact normally with with other people so if you're one third of the population who does not connect normally with with other people probably the situation of your job is more important than it is for the for the normal person that that you need a particular type of environment you need a particular type of, of boss, a particular type of relationship to, to thrive. Maybe, maybe your options are not as big and wide as, as they are for a normal person. And that means you probably have to be a little more selective about where you go to work. And it's not, it's not possible to read this situation perfectly. I've, I've misread the situation. I thought, oh, taking a, a job where it just seemed to be, you know, the perfect job for me. I, I, you know, I thought I was really open with who I was and the type of relationship that I wanted. And, uh, and the, the other party said, oh, yeah, you know, this sounds great. You know, I'm not someone who, who fires people. Like, I've never fired anyone. And, uh, and then, like, a week into it, you know, I ended up getting fired because I started the job when I was sick. When I was sick, I was also working on a substandard computer. And so I started making mistakes, getting frustrated with my computer, things started spiraling, and, and boom, the, the, the boss who never fires anyone, you know, got rid of me. And I would have been perfectly well suited for the job. You know, I could have done it, but there were just all these negative spirals that, that I fell into. So it was just kind of kind of humbling thinking about I excel in certain situations, but as someone who's not a normie, the, the situations in which I expel maybe excel maybe more narrow than they are for for regular people. And so who is that character? Cool Hand Luke. He's, didn't he talk about a man has to know his limitations? So there, there are certain jobs and certain employers that I've just thrived in, absolutely thrived in. But then there have been all sorts of jobs and employers where I've just gone into you know, a downward spiral, uh, just been a really bad fit for me. So maybe my options are not, not as wide as they are for the normal person. And if, if one has these self-destructive tendencies, uh, perhaps one has to take more care about putting yourself in a situation where you can, you can thrive. So for example, most people are not suited to being entrepreneurs. It, it seems to me at least nine out of 10 people are better suited being employees as their primary source of income. So, you know, a lot of people have, have a vision that they're going to work for themselves. They think this is going to be less responsibility. If I just work for myself, it will just be easier. But, but they find it's actually more responsibility. It's, it's more demanding. 
and it's not something that they're cut out for. So let's say you've got you know a certain level of recovery. You you found you you found a sphere in life where where you're doing well. Perhaps that doesn't mean you're completely ready to come out of hiding. And I think this would apply to your relationships too. Maybe I think most people need just graduated levels of disclosure, right? You're not best suited you know, com disclosing everything fairly early on in, in a relationship. Like particularly early on in a relationship, like one thing can just drown out all other things. So the, perhaps the, the most scary things about you or the most uh, distasteful things about you are not something that you should introduce early on. And then one form of coming out of hiding is to go online and to do live streams. And doing live streams is not in the best interest of a whole bunch of people I've seen doing live streams. Like if you're going to do a live stream in America or Australia or England with a big Nazi flag behind you, it's probably not in your long-term best interest, though it could be wildly entertaining. Uh, doing live streams predisposes people to share all sorts of you know, dark things that they wouldn't share face-to-face. -face. Also, people get an exaggerated sense of their own importance and, and wisdom and sagacity. And uh, like becoming a social media personality for many people becomes an addiction, and it just doesn't cost them the money they put into the equipment, but the, the time and, and the energy that for many people would be far better spent working a second job, learning new skills, socializing, working out, you know, developing in, in some other ways. And also, like, coming out of hiding can exact an enormous toll on your mental health and on your personal life. So at a certain level of visibility, you know, you may be doing well, but then you get step into management, you step into a higher level of visibility, you become more of an online personality, and it... Uh, it has a negative effect on the rest of your life. So I always try to monitor the rest of my life and, and my live streaming and how are they affecting each other. So for example, I've, I've live streamed every day for the last uh, four days and I may keep it up, I, I, I may not, but when I, when I walk down the street or when I go to synagogue or when I go to a restaurant or when I'm at the beach or I'm going to social events, going to writer gatherings, are my online activities having more of a negative or a positive effect on, on my happiness and on my connections to people who matter to me? So by doing these online things, I get to connect with a lot of really cool people, but I also leave myself wide open to speaking in ways that will damage or destroy my relationships with real-life friends and uh, relations. So. Big question, am I having fun? Do I find this relaxing and fulfilling? I don't find this relaxing, but I definitely find this fulfilling and I do find this fun. So I don't find myself locked into a grind. Right? I, I'm not not making stuff you know, out of vague obligation to my viewers, right? Obviously you understand I don't, don't do any of this because I feel like I have an obligation to you. And uh, if you're going to come out of hiding, like figure out what people will get from it. 
I mean, maybe you're not suited for being an entrepreneur or having a more visible position or moving into management or taking on greater responsibility. Uh, maybe you're not the type of guy who should be checking the engines before the plane takes off. Well, me and the other three people love your streams. Thank you. Thank you, Link. So what do I hope uh, you'll get from, from my live stream? So one thing is personality and personal connection. So people who've had similar struggles to me, I think will resonate when I share from you know, my own history of humiliation. Uh, I think that sometimes I share some useful information and then there's sometimes spectacle, such as more often in the blood sports days. But that's the, those are the three elements if you're gonna be creating stuff online. Personality, information, spectacle. And if your show isn't growing, ask yourself which element might be missing. So my show has not been growing for the past three years. And the element that's obviously most missing is spectacle, right? There haven't been many blood sports on my show over the last three years. There hasn't been that, that compelling spectacle that used to take place on the show. And uh, yeah, maybe, maybe I'm coming up short in the, in the category of personality. Maybe I'm coming up short in the in the humor and the mind-blowing revelations that get the listeners' juices flowing. And uh, another another danger about taking on more visibility and coming more out of hiding is that people will want a piece of your soul. Like often employees or or viewers, right? They may want to connect with you, and if you stand out and if you connect with people say on YouTube is because people feel a specific connection with your specific resonation resonance with your experiences and in particular your, your failures. All right. And so you have to open up your dark private places and let strangers in. And so when people then reject your, your content, you're very likely to feel that they're rejecting you, right? They're rejecting you as a person, that you are not good enough, that you're not special enough, you're not unique enough. Uh, I don't find this a problem. Like, my, my happiness level is not determined by the number of viewers. Obviously, I prefer more viewers to fewer, but I've been, I've been doing videos for 15 years, all right? You don't see an unhappy person here, just like cranking things out, out of some sense of obligation. So if people come to a live stream, for example, they're not coming for, for media. Like they're just, there's a ton of media. They're looking for a relationship. And when you disappoint people, they're going to take it as a deep personal betrayal. Right. And uh, can you, can you handle that? Can I handle some, those times when I'm saying something and every single person in the chat you know, passionately disagrees with me and turns their back on me. So I've made a lot of acquaintances and friends from these online ventures. And some, some people I reach out to and uh, like I form, form an offline uh, relationship with them. And then, you know, I, I call them, I, I never get a call back. Right. So sometimes I disappoint people, they just turn their back on me and that's it. And so I think I'm able to just ride through that. It's, it's, painful depending on the the intensity and the 
the importance of, of that relationship, but it inevitably happens, particularly given that I'm constantly changing my perspective on things. I'm constantly changing my understanding of, of reality. I'm, I'm constantly shifting. I'm not you know, a, a reliable pundit who's, who's always going to tell you that you know, the conservatives are right, the Republicans are right, that the, the nationalist position is right, that the, the, the people are right, the populists are right, the elites are wrong. I'm, I'm not going to come with this uh, consistent presentation of, of reality that has a top 40 feel where I'm just like playing the hits all over the constitution, more freedom. And so because I'm constantly changing, a lot of my audience is going to be disappointed, disaffected, is going to tune out and uh, may very well uh, feel like I have, I have betrayed them. But how much should souls come out of hiding? I guess that's, that's, a, that's my underlying question this morning. And I think talking about you know, damaged souls such as myself, you know, people who, who are not normal, that uh, we have to be fairly careful about where we come out of hiding and how we come out of hiding. That we have to take more care than the normal person. We may not have the resilience of normal people. So a good thing about a strongly identifying in-group such as for me in Orthodox Judaism I feel completely at home in Orthodox Judaism. So I can, I can step into the stream of Orthodox Judaism and I can just share that I've, I've imbibed the rules and, and within the rules, you can pretty much be whoever you are. You can pretty much share anything and it's a fairly safe space. So uh, the damaged need their safe spaces. I think people who don't have normal levels of human connection they have a particular need for finding safe spaces and maybe we need to come out of hiding there uh, primarily and then maybe gingerly step into the real world with, with great care, with, with some trepidation, uh, maybe slowly uh, judging whether or not we're, we're too much out of hiding, whether we're becoming too visible. I mean, look at uh, the Amber Heard, Johnny, is it Johnny Depp? Uh, I mean, that case, right? C could you imagine, yeah, Johnny Depp, Amber Heard. I mean, could you imagine your, your private life being, being examined like that? So most people would not survive well with, with that level of scrutiny. So for the damaged, uh, maybe come out of hiding in safe places, use, use good sense, with the people with whom you start disclosing, such as in 12-step programs, there's this ethos, we don't share, we don't share what we hear in the meeting, outside of the meeting. So, so people who are going to be relatively likely to maintain that kind of ethos, those are the people that we come out of hiding to first. And then we should develop from that you know, feeling of safety and that, that feeling of, of connection and rebuilding human relationships from, from the wreckage of our past, maybe we can slowly build, build out of that some resilience that we can take into the, the wider world, but uh, with some care. So number one, don't drag people out of hiding, right? That, that's not going to work. Uh, number two, if you're damaged, right, take a great deal of care, you know, with whom you confide and where you come out of hiding. 
slowly step into the real world with the sense of resilience that uh, you have safe places that you can go and people you can talk to and uh, recognize that you're probably not suited for all jobs and all employers and you know all opportunities for you know, just displaying yourself right for for visibility right maybe not all opportunities for visibility are you know in your best interest and then some people simply have stronger levels of recovery i think some people can get such strong levels of recovery that they can practically become normal and then i've had illusions of that it's like oh man i've got such a strong level of recovery now you know i can i can step out into the world as a normal person and then i'll just fall flat on my face i'll get into a situation that plays to my vulnerabilities to to my tendencies to get into these downward spirals and it's like oh you know i maybe i don't have as much recovery as i thought i have to be selective about uh about how i display myself uh, so i've i've had friends who were kind of struggling should they stay in say eighty thousand dollar a year jobs with with good benefits or should they step up to jobs that are more demanding higher standards and they're paying well into six figures and uh, many of them have stepped into those high-paying jobs repeatedly and gotten fired, gotten shot down. So two lessons from that. One, they need a high level of recovery, meaning maturity, meaning you know, more in touch with, with reality. So when you challenge yourself more, the more you know, reality is staring back into you and you have to step up. So you know, part of this you can view as just settling for mediocrity, but if you only have a mediocre level of recovery and you step into something more challenging, now it's very likely that you'll be exposed. So you either, you either raise your level of recovery, meaning maturity, meaning your acceptance of, uh, of reality, or you stay, stay in the safe place. The Peter principle, observation, tendency in most hierarchies such as that of a corporation, is for every employee to rise in the hierarchy through promotion till they reach a level of respective incompetence. Yeah. And so sometimes, sometimes we're meant to be visible primarily outside of our work. Not, not everyone is well-suited to being a leader at, at, at work. So I know in Australia New Zealand, uh, people frequently work much harder outside of their jobs and they do on their job so on their job they just they, they just kind of walk along and do do what's required and nothing more then as soon as they get off work then they explode with energy passion and enthusiasm into their hobbies and so some people are better suited for that i don't know if you've got a patent let's say four times you've stepped up from a mediocre job to a higher paying, higher demanding job, and you've gotten fired. Uh, what's the primary lesson from that? Is the primary lesson that you need to change and, and become a better person to you know, be more attuned with reality, become more mature, someone who expects greater things of himself, or should one accept one's limitations that uh, perhaps one is not well suited for management or for for positions you know, requiring higher visibility and, and higher standards. Open questions to be continued.